Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to my Weirdest Experience podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hey, welcome to the show. I have author Joseph Holmes here today. He is the author of Loving Yourself Wealthy, The Power of Angels. There are six total volumes, but if you search for an Amazon, make sure you search for volume three because he is a prolific author of 45 books and Joseph had a awakening moment when Mary Magdalene came to him in December 2015 and today he's going to share with us that story and how he came about writing these books on angels welcome to the show Joseph hi thank you Tienis I'm glad to be here and thank you for doing this. It's a, it's a great service for people. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to hearing about how Mary Magdalene came into your life, what was happening a little bit before, and walk us into what happened on that sure. day. Well, that's an important question because a, a lot of people ask, well, if they haven't seen their angels, they ask, well, how do my angels come to me? And uh, they... In my experience, your angels will come to you um, uh, in relationship to your receptivity at the time. So, for example, the first time Mary Magdalene came to me, I didn't know it was her at the time. I later found out it was. But when I was seven years old, uh, my family, uh, were re- we were returning home from a road trip to visit my cousins in Arizona. And... We did that every summer, and on the way home, we would always take a side trip someplace. Uh, This year, my parents decided to stop in Nogales, Arizona, which becomes very important uh, later on uh, when we start talking about doubts and fears, the things that stop most people from uh, following their heart. And But anyway, uh, we pulled in in Nogales late at night, so we just went to the motel, went to bed. And the next morning, my two brothers and my parents were already up when I woke up, uh, getting ready to go to breakfast. And I was lying in bed on my back, and a wave of peace entered the top of my head and just flowed through my body and up my feet. I didn't know what it was at the time. I wasn't scared because it felt so good. Uh, But I didn't tell anybody about it. And anyway, I got up and uh, we were walking to breakfast. We were waiting on the street corner for the light to turn so we could cross the street and it happened again to me. And again, I wasn't afraid because, you know, it felt so good, but I didn't mention it to anybody. And I didn't know what it was. I just, it just felt good to me. I was seven years old. Um, But later on, Mary Magdalene told me that was her. Uh, So at that point, she came to me just with a feeling, uh, at the time, I consider that a feeling of peace, but now I I consider it, it was a feeling of grace flowing through me. And so that's how she first came to me. The second time was in uh, 1993. I was at a workshop, a one-week workshop. And uh, I was having an out-of-body experience, and my guide was taking me to into what I call these light regions, because a few years earlier, I had been encased in the bubble of white light for, for a week. And at the time, back in 1988, that's that was the thing. Everybody was writing about, talking about the white light, like that was the ultimate spiritual experience. But when, in 93, when I was in, in these light regions, that made the white light just pale in comparison. And we were traveling 
and in the distance, I saw this light and I was expecting we were going to it. And my guide stopped me and said, we can't go there. <laughs> and I said, well, why? I want to. He said, no, you'll combust if you go there. You're, you can't handle that energy. That Well, I didn't know it at the time. I was later told, but that was the light of Mary Magdalene. So finally, the third time I, I saw her, it was actually in semi-physical form. And um, I had uh, I decided not to take any more workshops because when I went into these light readings, it was, I explained, I, you know, we don't have the syntax to describe a lot of these spiritual experiences that we have. So I was trying to describe it to a, a Catholic one time. And he said, oh, he said, oh, you were in a state of rapture. And I thought, well, that's a good word, rapture. But uh, I was in this state for five solid months. I couldn't work. Um, I'm a kind of a quiet person, but I'd be in the, like in the supermarket and without any warning, just, just laughter would just come out of me. And people would stop and look at me in the supermarket and just like, you know, who is this crazy person? Uh, but the, I was in that state for five months. Now, when you come out of that state <clears throat> and you have to deal with the mundane world, that can cause a lot of issues. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I was so frustrated with it, with this mundane world that I thought, well, okay, no more, no more seminars. Okay. I can't handle getting into these light regions and then having to come out. But then one day uh, I saw or I got a notice that they were going to have a breathwork seminar at the Mission San Luis Rey in Oceanside, California. It's one of the 21 uh, uh, original California missions. And I thought, well, you know, that mission is connected to Mary, to uh, Mother Mary. And well, in that time when I went into these light regions, two, two nights before I had that experience, Mother Mary had come to me and for about 10 minutes had bathed me in, in just beams of gold and white light. And that had never happened before. Um, and so, you know, I, well, this has to be good. And I think it was really preparation for the two nights later when I went into those light regions. But because of that experience with Mother Mary, I thought, well, you know, if I take this seminar, maybe I'll be able to see Mother Mary again. Mother Mary, not Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. I, I had no interest in Mary Magdalene. Um, and so I was, uh, I had a uh, martial arts school and I, was, I announced to my class that this was Friday. I said, there won't be any uh, classes tomorrow because I'm taking a workshop. That's all I said. So everybody's gone, I thought, and I was locking up the dojo. And one of the parents came up to me and said, well, why are you taking the workshop? And you know, I swear, out of my mouth, without thinking, I said, oh, to meet Mary Magdalene. And I'm driving home and I'm thinking, Mary Magdalene, that's, I don't have any interest in her. I said, why did I say Mary Magdalene? I want to see Mother Mary. Well, anyway, the next morning, uh, it's 8 a.m. And the facilitator says, okay, we're going to do some breath work. And I'm thinking, no, this is not the way I met Mother Mary the first time. It, it was that night, the lights were out, we were in a dark room lying on our backs. So this is, I'm thinking, right, that's my ego. This is not going to work. I'm not going to be able to see her. <laughs> and, and the facilitator says, and we're going to do it sitting in the chairs. And then I go, oh, man, no, no way this is going to work. But, you know, I'm not voicing anything. I'm going along with the program, sitting in the chair, the lights are on, it's eight in the morning, the sun's coming through the windows, the room's bright, and you know, we start this breathing, and there's this uh, entranceway with no doors, Mother Mary, 
sticks her head around the corner. It gets this big smile on her face and comes up in front of me and she's got Murray Magdalene with her. That's the first time I'd seen Mary Magdalene in physical form. And anyway, they had these long black capes on, which becomes very significant later when we start talking about doubts and fears again. Anyway, they start circling me and just having fun with me, circling me with these black capes and giggling and laughing. And then Mary, uh, Mother Mary says, okay, I want you to lie down on the floor. And I'm thinking... I can't lie in the floor, everybody's sitting up. <laughs> and then right at that instant, the facilitator says, okay, everybody to the floor. So I'm lying on the floor on my back, my head's resting in Mother Mary's lap, and Mary Magdalene's hovering above me. And she enters my body, and she heals me of my childhood molestations, which I had never spoken to anybody about. But when she healed me of those molestations, for your listeners who have ever been molested, you know that one of the important features of recovery is to be able to talk about it. So from that point on, I was able to talk about my molestations, write about them, talk about them on podcasts. Anyway, then Mary Magdalene came out of me. And then Mother Mary says, we have to go. And they were gone. And I'm thinking, this is my ego. So ego is an acronym, E-G-O, for edging God out. You know, your ego will do everything to keep, your, to keep you out of your heart and in your head where your doubts and fears reside, right? So my ego instantly says, oh, man, they didn't even say goodbye. You know, like, you know, you would think I would be grateful that they came. And I was. But at the moment, my ego was was in charge. And anyway, the moment uh, I said that, oh, man, they didn't even say goodbye. Mary Magdalene sticks her head around the corner, comes up in front of me. She puts my she she puts her hands uh, on either side of my face and then she just gives me a peck on the lips a kiss on the lips and smiles and says you silly boy and then she was gone and so that was in 2000 and uh I get all these dates mixed up, but 2008, I believe. So when you uh, were yeah, see when that, you were seeing them, was it were your eyes open or closed? My eyes were open, so I'm looking around to see if anybody else sees them, mm-hmm. <laughs> and nobody else is paying nobody else is paying attention. So. Uh, but anyway, from so from that point on, uh, up into 2015, um, Mary Magdalene would come to me occasionally, and then in December of 2013, she uh, she woke me up at 2 a.m. and had me sit down at my desk with a pad and pen. And then now some people want to call this automatic writing, uh, and I don't have a better term for it, but that's when it started. And she would write these what, uh, these quatra- this quatrain poetry, four stanza poems, and I could get uh, six poems on a page. I would write in these legal uh, yellow pads with 50 pages, so about 300 poems per legal pad, and... I just started writing. And if you asked me, what did I write when I finished? I couldn't tell you. It just came through. I wasn't reading them, taking them in. I was just uh, transcribing. Now, this was uh, December 2013. Every night from that point, she's been doing this. 
So you can imagine that's why I have 45 books and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, but that was in December and April. I started having real doubts. And this is important, you know, because when people start following their heart, doubts and fears creep in. It's automatic. And if you don't deal with the doubts and fears, you'll soon give up on your dream. And in April, so just a few months later, I was having serious doubts. I, I say my ego was having serious doubts. Now, back when this first started in December, I had asked Mary Magdalene, I said, do you mind if I call you Maggie? I said, I know Maggie's not a nickname for Magdalena, but next to Melissa, it's one of my favorite girl names and female names. And, and Mary Magdalene said, of course you can call me Maggie. So from this point on, uh, when, when we're talking, if I say Mary, I'm referring to Mother Mary. If I say Maggie, I'm referring to Mary Magdalene. But anyway, so in, um, in April, uh, I started having serious doubts about, uh, you know, if these were really coming from uh, Maggie, Mary Magdalene, or it just was all my imagination. So I gave her an ultimatum. I said, I want, I want a burning bush. I want something that nobody can refute. Some sign to tell me that these are really coming from you. And so a day went by and nothing happened. Right? A week went by and nothing happened. A month went by and nothing happened. But every night the poems were coming through. And so I just kind of forgot about my ultimatum. And in July, so April, May, Three months later, uh, Maggie asked me, she says, I want you to publish these. I want you to start publishing these. So I'm thinking, okay, well, if I publish these, I better get some people to review review them first. So I thought, well, so I went to this uh, website that has thousands of people that offer different services, like, uh, you know, voiceovers and um, you know, just all kinds of different technical stuff and, and uh, social media stuff. Anyway, I'm going through and I said, I can't do this. This is too many people. I'm trying to read through people's bios. So I thought, you know, I'm very visual. I'll just go quickly through the, through the photos. So I start going through all these photos really quickly. And I come upon this photo of this woman and I stopped. And I looked down, her name is Angelina. And she provided the service, um, which wasn't what I needed, a review. But Maggie told me to email her. So I emailed her. And all I told her when I emailed her, I said, I have some poems. I'd like you, I'll pay you to read them. I won't pay you for a review. I'll pay you for your time. If you are moved to give me a review, I would appreciate it. And then she wrote back and she said, well, no, that's not what I do. <laughs> so I'm ready to start you know, looking for someone else. And Maggie says, no, email her again. And so for two or three days, Angelina and I went back and forth. And finally, just out of, I think, exasperation, she goes, okay, send me some bombs. So this time when I sent her the poems, I told her that they were from Mary Magdalene, whom I call Maggie, because at the time we were calling them love notes from Maggie. Well, the next day I get an email and it says, Joseph, I have to tell you this. I love these poems, but I have to tell you this and you're not going to believe me. So I'll send you proof said, everybody knows me today as Angelina. But when I was born, my mother wanted to name me Mary Magdalene. And when I was growing up in Greece, 
one day, one of my best friends called me Maggie, and I loved it. From that point on, my best friends always called me Maggie. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. I said, I said, wait, Maggie's not the nickname for Magdalena, is it? She said, no. But one of my friends called me Maggie, and I loved it. Then she sent me a copy of her passport to, to prove it to me. So here I was, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is my burning bush. And then I remember looking at the screen and looking down at her name again, Angel, Angelina, Angelina. And I thought, oh, my God, this is an angel from Mary Magdalene from, for my ultimatum asking for proof. So out of the thousands of people I could have, you know, uh, look to ask to give me reviews, I come upon her picture, and initially she has no interest, but I we keep going, and, and this is what happens. So you, what I want to emphasize to your listeners is doubts and fears. When you start following your heart, no matter what, your doubts and fears are going to pop up and try and derail you, get you back into your head where your doubts and fears reside instead of in your heart where your imagination and your dreams reside. And uh, so now people would think, people say to me, well, with that kind of a burning bush, you, you would never have any doubts again. Well, that's, that's not the case because <laughs> ego is always persistent. And ego's main job is to keep you out of your heart and away from your, your bliss. And so uh, about a year later, now, after that, you know, after that time, I don't have to make an ultimatum. Anytime a doubt starts creeping in, Maggie just hits me with, with, a, with a mini burning bush. And so about a year later, I started, you know, the doubt started creeping back in. I mean, just out of the blue, and I'm thinking, Carlos Constaneda, for listeners who don't know, Carlos Constaneda was an anthropology student in the early 60s. And he, uh, for his doctoral thesis, he went into the Arizona desert and met a shaman called Don Juan. And uh, Don Juan uh, initiated him into these spiritual practices. And anyway, the teachings of Don Juan became a international bestseller, still a bestseller today, and, and in the subsequent books from that. But anyway, um, the thing with Carlos's book was that uh, the critics said, no, nah, this isn't true. You made all this up, right? And Carlos would say, no, I met Don Juan at the Nogales bus station in Nogales, Arizona. So that that was that was the criticism of uh, his books that they weren't true they're were all made up and anyway i knew a lot about carlos because i read his books and i was an anthropology student uh, a little after he was and um, so i'm thinking oh well god i know everything to know about carlos why is she asking me to look him up so anyway i google carlos Castaneda, and i'm just reading the stuff and you know I know stuff that's already familiar to me but then off to the, to the on the sidebar there's this uh, caption that says I can confirm Carlos Consonati me meeting with Don Juan at the Nogales bus station I thought now that's interesting if somebody can actually confirm that so I clicked on that and there's a story of this guy who's a friend of Carlos and he had been traveling in Mexico and he was coming back to the States and he got sick right before he was crossed over into Nogales. And, and so he stayed in this little town, a suburb of Nogales, Mexico, uh, to recuperate. And he said the reason that's important is because if he had not stopped to recuperate, he would have missed the meeting with Don Juan and Carlos. So once he uh, was well enough to travel again, 
he crossed the border at Nogales. He was at the bus station and he saw Carlos meeting with Don Juan. Then the name of the town that he recuperated in is Magdalena. You know, I've been to Nogales. You I, what? I've been to Nogales. Yes, um, I love Nogales. Uh, yeah, like in, I think it's around 2000, I flew into Tucson and vacationed with a friend for like a long weekend. And we, we went to Nogales. We were there. Yeah, yeah. Well, Nogales, to me, when I was seven years old, Nogales was neat because Nogales, Arizona, right across the border was the city of the same name, Nogales, Mexico. For mm -hmm. a seven-year-old, that was, that was cool, <laughs> right? <laughs> but the suburb of Nogales is Magdalena. So this is what Maggie does when I start having doubts. She just does things like that. And uh, if, if we have time, I can tell you another story with doubts and fears because it's so important that people understand that no matter how long you're on your path, doubts and fears are always going to come up and you just have to deal with them. So another time, you know, the doubts started creeping in and uh, uh, Maggie says, um, says tomorrow, well, I had had to preface this, uh, I had made an appointment at the VA Medical Center in Oceanside, California. It's about a mile from the mission, uh, San Luis Rey Mission, where I had first met uh, Mary Magdalene in, in physical form. And uh, so whenever I go out there, I always stop at the church. And my routine is I park, I walk down to the building where I have the vision, and then when I'm leaving, I always stop into the chapel and I sit in the chapel and I meditate for a while. And then to, before leaving the chapel, I go to a alcove off to the left uh, where you can light a candle and say a prayer for somebody. But every time I've been in that alcove, the side door has always been closed. So this time when I'm having these doubts, Maggie says, tomorrow, when you visit the San Luis Rey Mission, Mary is going to be with you, Mother Mary. I thought, oh, okay, that's cool. So next day I'm at the mission and, you know, I park, I go down uh, to the building where I had the visions. Then I start walking back and I feel this pressure on the back, my upper back, like somebody just, you know, gently guiding me, turns me to the left. I go into the chapel, which I always do. So I'm expecting to sit down, but instead of sitting down, she turns me to the right. We go right into the alcove and that side door is open. First time it's ever been open. She immediately turns me, we go out the alcove, we go out the door and that takes you into the cemetery. She turns me to the right. There's about, I would say 12 or 15 uh, green benches all through the cemeteries where people can sit and relax. She takes me down the path, turns me to the right, takes me to this bench and has me sit down. And then she says, look under the bench. <laughs> so I, I, I look under the bench and there's a plaque, but I can't read it. So she says, read the plaque. So I get on my knees and I read the plaque and it says, in memory of Guy Williams, the original Zorro. Well, if you remember, when they first came to me at the mission, they were wearing long black capes. Mm -hmm. And Maggie said, after I got home, Maggie said, look up Zorro. So I Google Zorro, and I don't know, um, so I'm sure. Or some of your listeners uh, are my age, but one of my favorite programs when I was a kid was Walt Disney's uh, The Legend of Zorro. It was a weekly program starring Guy Williams, the name who's on the plaque. And anyway, I'm reading about it, and 
the story, what I read was that, you know, it was a very popular program, but the most popular season and all the seasons except one were filmed in the studio in Hollywood. The most popular season they had was when all the episodes were filmed at the San Luis Rey Mission in Oceanside, California. And so that's why they were wearing the black capes. And the importance of this is when you use it for your listeners who can reflect back and start putting the dots together and seeing where they did have angel interventions in their life, or for the listeners who haven't had any uh, angel experiences and, and they start having these, your angels will set you up like this. You know, the, the feeling that Grace and the Gallus, uh, the black capes, uh, you know, because they know later on you're going to start having doubts. And that's so they use these uh, experiences to bring you back and, and kind of confirm to you that there's no reason to have any doubts. You have to trust what you see. You know, when Mary Magdalene, uh, she was the first one to see the re resurrected Christ. And when she went back and told the other disciples, you know, and they started criticizing her, why would Christ show himself to a woman? You know, and Levi stood up and defended Mary Magdalene. But what they, what the disciples, now you would think they would understand this, but the disciples didn't understand that when Mary Magdalene saw the resurrected Christ, she did not see him. If you go back to the original language, she did not see him with her physical eyes. She saw her, she saw him with the single eye of her heart. And when she describes that in the original language, that's what she's talking about. She's not talking about her physical eyes. So, you know, and I know there's listeners who are atheists or agnostic and, and uh, so, and don't believe in angels. Uh, and maybe they, maybe they are spiritual and still don't believe in angels. You don't have to believe in angels. You, I call, you know, listen to your heart because that's where your angels whisper to you. If you don't believe in angels, then just call your intuition. Just listen to your heart and follow your intuition and stay out of your head where all the doubts and fears live. So that's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot. It's a long nutshell, big nutshell, but yeah. Uh, I think is I think it's important to talk about the doubts and fears because uh, I have uh, what I talk about today. Now it's not in my book, but um, it's the it's the uh, trinity of following your bliss, right? Where uh, the first part of the trinity is to start talking about your angel stories. I believe there's billions of people with angel stories, but they're intimidated. They think they're going to be called crazy or, you know, ostracized. And, and it's happened to me. Uh, I've been ostracized. I've been called crazy. But, you know, the Catholics have a great word for craziness, you know, where people are crazy, right? They call them mystics and saints. That's what I was going to say. They call them saints. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, start talking about your angel stories. And and if you don't have any angel stories, start reading about angel stories. But get involved with angel stories because that sets up the groundwork for listening to your heart, uh, sets the groundwork up for, for healing from any past trauma and discovering what your gift is, what your purpose is in life. And then sharing your purpose. So the first part of uh, The Power of Angels, Volume 3, that's my stories because I want to encourage readers to start sharing their own angel stories. And then the second part is, is the poetry from Mary Magdalene. And that's to support 
uh, healing from any trauma, uh, discovering your gift, and then sharing your gift. Because when you start sharing your gift, the doubts and fears come up. And ego, remember, it's an acronym for etching God out. Its sole purpose is to keep you from sharing your gift for the world. So you just got to find your ways of dealing with the doubts and fears. You know, I grew up Catholic and we're all familiar of some of the angels in the Bible. You know, they mm -hmm. mention Archangel Michael and Gabriel. That's probably the two that people know the most. Right. But right. I remember, you know, being a maybe middle school going, you know, people used to wear the Archangel Michael necklaces for protection. Mm -hmm. And I would see someone wear that and I would look at it and I was like, well, how do you know Archangel Michael's protecting you if you wear that necklace? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but now I feel so silly because I have a very good relationship with Archangel Michael and I work with him all the time. But, you know, I just can't imagine him observing me being so doubtful about those <laughs> necklaces. And he's like, look at you now. You call on me all the time. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that, that's, that's, that's your, that was your ego. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we all have e an ego, but, you know, for the longest time I fought my ego and, you know, if you fight ego, ego always wins. And so what I decided to do was befriend the ego. And, and so now ego is my friend. So every time an ego has so many disguises right? Doubts, fears, uh, anger, uh, jealousy, uh, you know, uh, ego will come to you in all these different disguises. But when ego does, all you, for me, all I do is I thank it now. I say, thank you for reminding me to stay in my heart. Oh, and I mm -hmm. go back and I focus in my heart because we all get caught up you know, in the daily, in our daily activities. And boy, that's just fertile ground for ego to come in and take over. Okay, you know, and then all, you're just listening to your monkey mind, you know, 24 seven. And then, you know, a week goes by and, and then you realize, oh my God, that's right. <laughs> Thank you I for have, reminding I have, me to stay yeah, in my heart. I have a conversation with my ego. I say, I know where you're going with this and I'm going to stop it right now. <laughs> right, right. You are going to tell me all the bad things that are going to happen. We're going to go down this track and that is not what I want to focus on right now. Right. And then I'll change the script in my head to say mm -hmm. what I want to happen. You know, it could be as simple right. as I left late, but I'm still going to have plenty of time to get there. Right. Right. Yeah. So everybody, uh, everybody has to find their own unique way with dealing with ego. You know, whatever works for them. Um, but the main point is not to battle it. You know, just to deal with it. Uh, in your case, you have a conversation with it. In my case, I befriend it. I I don't want to talk to it. I just say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're so, not even so, the, the conversation. Right. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And so uh, people just have to find their own unique ways of dealing with ego, but they have to deal with it. Uh, otherwise, you just get caught up in that monkey mind and you're listening to the chatter 24-7 and forget who you are. You know, you're not your head, you're your heart. And uh, and that's where you got to spend your time. Um Maggie writes in her poetry, she writes about, uh, you know, uh, ending the war within, mm -hmm. you know, uh, ending the war within and, and being in this world, but not of it, you know. So ego wants you to look with your physical eyes and think that what you see is your reality. But if you do what Mary Magdalene did, so many years ago and look at the world through the eye of your heart then you can be in this world but not of it it's really simple and not not easy but it's a really simple concept
You know, and I think we be good for us, for your listeners, if we talked about simplicity, you know, uh, everything in nature is simple, everything. And the problem with religions, and Mary and Maggie have always come to me as spiritual beings, not religious beings. The, the issue I have with religions is that of all the dogma and doctrine becomes very complicated, you know, the Protestants think this way, and the Catholics think this way, and the uh, Jesuits think, you know, you know, and the one message, and Maggie's message, is that only love is real. It's that, that simple. And if you look at the simple scripture, now there are some good scripture. If you look at the simple scripture, where it says, you have not because you ask not. Well, it doesn't say I have not because of my PTSD. You know, it doesn't say I have not because of my past lives. You know, it doesn't say I have not because I'm a flawed human being. You know, all that stuff is complicated. It simply says I have not because I asked not. So what's the solution? What's the answer? The answer is to simply ask. Yeah. Now, what's that mean? Simply ask. It means to ask one time and then know that God is taking it from there. Now, you can take all your askings and form them into affirmations and repeat the affirmations as many times as you want every day because you repeat affirmations for yourself to keep you out of your head and keep you in your heart. But, you know, you don't need to ask God for something a hundred times every day. You just keep it simple. One time and have faith that is coming. And then, you know, simple scripture also says, you know, people without vision shall perish, right? Well, that's pretty simple. And it says to write your vision down and make it plain. It means keep it simple. So those who see it shall run to it. And mm -hmm. if it tarries, if it tarries, takes a long time to get, come about, know that, Surely it's arriving at, at its appointed time. Now, the other simple scripture, I have three that I, I live by. The other one says, your gift will make room for you. It doesn't say your education or the people you know or your, your bank account. Uh, that stuff is all complicated. It simply says your gift will make room for you. And it will bring you into the company of extraordinary souls. So if you write your vision down and make it simple, so those who see it shall run to it, those extraordinary souls shall run to it. Yeah. Um, whenever, if I ask for something, I repeat it three times because I always imagine the angels have to sift through a lot of thoughts and you know what I mean? Like some people, their minds are running, 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 you know? So if I say, you know, repeat it three times, or I say, thank you, thank you, thank you three times. That's like, mm -hmm. angels, I'm serious about this. You know, uh, this is not yes. just my mind running. Right, right. Yeah. Yes. And that's important. And that's keeping it simple. But, you know, some people, well, I've heard people say, well, you know, write it down a hundred times every day. You know, I mean, that's complicated. And you might do it for a day or two. Right. Or maybe mm -hmm. a week. But then, mm -hmm. then you stop doing it. So what purpose does it serve? Keep it simple. You know, it's just like if you have a little child and they were to come up to you every five minutes and ask you the same question. You'd, you know. Uh, okay. <laughs> you get annoyed. <laughs> yeah, you know. Okay, I'm taking it from here, you mm -hmm. know. But, and, you know, um, I, I read uh, the, simple, the simple truth is um, fearless faith, uh, non-resistance, and love. And knowing that your word is your wand, your wand, you know. Mm-hmm. Your, wand. your word is your wand, you know. Um, 
And Steve Harvey says, you know, uh, your job, talking about inspired action, taking inspired action every day. My job is to get up in the morning and be grateful for my daily bread and take the pieces that show up for me and arrange them in such a way that I live fearlessly, knowing that the universal divine mind, God, is taking care of the details. That's actually from uh, Virginia Woolf. Uh, so that's what your inspired action is, is, is to be grateful and take for your daily bread and take the pieces that are given to you each day and just arrange them so you live fearlessly, you know, fearless faith, you know. A lot of people have faith, but not fearless faith, you know. So what does Mary Magdalene well, and I want us to know right now, what does she, what does she want us to know about her? Well, her central her message method? is only love. Well, that only love is real. And that in in the, I think it's in the, this volume. <laughs> I have to look at them because I have some, maybe not in this volume. I think it is volume three. Um, she says, those who are drawn to my poetry. Now you might read the poetry and say, yeah, you know, close the book and say, not, not for me. But she says, those who are drawn to my poetry can consider her their, one of their guardian angels. So if a listener finds that these poems resonate with them, then they can consider it that Mary Magdalene is one of their guardian angels. And that, I think, is crucial, critical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, she, because she wants, you know, at first she was maligned as a prostitute, and then uh, they made her a saint. <laughs> you know, from one end to the other end. Mm -hmm. And uh, she just wants people to know that um, she does not uh, subscribe to any dogma or doctrine of any religion. That her message is only love is real, which was the message of Christ, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and to stay in your heart. Remember, fearless faith, non-resistance. Stop resisting ego. Just stop. You know, and you have a conversation with ego. I don't even want to talk to ego. I just thank <laughs> you, you know. So how, how are, for your listeners, just figure out a way to deal with ego. Uh, I have more of a one-sided conversation with ego. Yeah. Because once I say enough, you know, we're not going to go down this path. It's not like my ego's fighting me at that point. It's just I'm right. recognizing in myself that I'm going down this path of thought that's not helpful. And, yeah. and it's, it's creating more fear. Well, so, I think, I, I think uh, that's because of your awareness. You know, uh, if you weren't, if you were less aware, you might have a tendency Ego might have a tendency to argue with you. Yeah. Right? Because, <laughs> because it would know it would win. Right? But now at your point in life, it says, hey, oh, what's the use? I'm not going to argue. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? yeah. And, and that goes back to a host once asked me, they said, well, why you? Why does Mary Magdalene uh, come to you? Why did Mary Magdalene choose you? That's the words that they use. And I said, and nobody had ever asked me that, and they never, I never thought about it. So just off the top of my head, my answer was, well, I don't think it's a matter of choosing. I think it's a matter of receptivity. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, was a, when I was a child, the only way, you know, if she had appeared to me in physical form, it probably would have scared the heck out of me, you know. Or, or just, you know, but she didn't. She came to me in, in a wave of grace that for a seven-year-old was very comforting. 
and very soothing. And then next she came to me. Well, she's come to me in many forms, but uh, I, I told you the three. Um, uh, if if you if you want to go into one more, uh, I can do that if we have the time. But sure, uh, go ahead. It's up to you. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> when I was in college, um, my first year of college, uh, so from high school to next year I went into college, and uh, I was homeless. My dad had kicked me out of the house. I was living in a tent in a friend's backyard, and. Uh, but I was in college and I was kind of a quiet person. I didn't make friends easily. And anyway, um, this, um, this was in uh, Southwestern College, right? 10 miles from the Mexican border. So a lot of Mexican kids would come up and attend college. And anyway, uh, I met this um, woman uh, her name was Migdalia. And she befriended me because I wasn't, well, first of all, she was beautiful. And, and me being as shy as I was, I was not going to approach her. You know, she befriended me and we became friends. I was an anthropology major, she was an art major. So we didn't have any classes together. But in between classes, we would, if we saw each other, we would spend time uh, together. Anyway, uh, she was somebody. She was somebody that, uh, if she walked into a room because of her beauty, people would stop and look at her. She, she had this long black hair that went down past her buttocks, straight black hair. It looked like silk, and she had this. For you, any anthropology students out there. In uh, Mesoamerica, you got the Maya nose and the Aztec nose. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she had this regal Aztec nose, and she was just beautiful uh, inside and out, a beautiful heart. And uh, I had taken three years of high school Spanish. I had a lot of Mexican friends from high school. I had never heard the, word, the name Migdalia. That was the first time I've ever heard the name Dahlia. Anyway, um, it was the time of the Vietnam War, and uh, they had just started drafting college students. So I had a choice. I could burn my draft card and go to jail, or, you know, I'm a San Diego boy. I could go to Canada where it snows. <laughs> or I could have enlist drafted. Because if I got drafted, you know, you're where you end up. So I decided to enlist. Well, I didn't tell Magdalena because I thought I would have time to tell her. Anyway, uh, the last time I saw her, I was... Uh, in the parking lot, I just got some books out on the trunk of my car and I was walking back to class and she was leaving. And she always carpooled with uh, uh, five, of her to, five of her friends. So she, she always sat in the back seat in, the, in between her two friends in the back seat. Anyway, uh, their car was leaving and her, she didn't see me, but her friend saw me. So her friend poked her on the um, arm and whispered something to her. And Magdalia turned completely around in the back seat. And she had this ear-to-ear grin on her face and waved goodbye to me. She thought she was waving goodbye for the weekend. Well, things happened during the weekend, you know, me being homeless and stuff. And, uh, I never saw her again and uh, never had a chance to uh, tell her what was happening. And so uh, all through the years, I never really uh, thought about her. Um, but uh, a couple of years ago, I was, some doubts were creeping in. And uh, just out of the blue, Maggie says, uh, look up Pigalia. 
I'm thinking Migdalia. I haven't thought about Migdalia in decades. <laughs> so I look at Migdalia and it says Migdalia <clears throat> means flower. And I thought, okay, yeah, she was beautiful like a flower. <laughs> so what's that got to do with anything? So the next morning, Maggie says, look up Migdalia. And I said, well, I already did. It means flower. And I can see her rolling her eyes. You know, she says, look it up again and use a different source. So I use a different source. Well, why is that important? Because I was sent to Vietnam. And when you first, when you first went in country, you stayed in Saigon, the capital of South Vietnam, for about a week or so until your paperwork came through and then you went to where you're gonna be stationed for the year. And when you arrive, everybody knows you're new because you're clean. <laughs> and so, all the Vietnamese, when they, when the first question they asked me is, where are you going? I said, well, we're going to play coup. And every single one would go, oh, no, that's the worst place you can go. That, that's, that's a, you know, just a concentration of Viet Cong. And I thought, well, you know, I can't do anything about this, you know. So anyway, I get to play coup. And I didn't know at the time, later I found out, but a month before I got to play coup, uh, you know, they hired the locals to come in and clean the barracks and wash laundry and stuff. Well, apparently they had some spies because they had uh, mortared our base. And, you know, when the alarm goes off that, that you have to get in, go down to the bunkers, everybody's running out of the barracks down the path to the bunkers. Well, they landed those mortars right down that path, one by one, just walked them down the path, right? And a bunch of people were killed and a bunch of people were wounded. That was in uh, April of 1969. I got there in May of 1969. And for the whole year I was there, May 69, the May 70, we never got hit. The air base next to us got hit two or three times a week. And it, and it started getting on our nerves because every time they got hit, we had to go on alert. Meaning that if it's two in the morning, you have to get out of bed, get all your, get your weapon, get all your gear, and run down to the bunkers. <laughs> and we were never getting hit directly, so it became an annoyance to us, which, which is, that's how dangerous it was. It, you become so complacent. Oh, they're not gonna hit us, they're hitting the air base, and that's, you know. But for the whole year, I we never took a hit that I was there. When it was time for me to leave country, and, and we worked out of trailers because of the, uh, we intercepted communication from North Vietnam to the guerrilla units. So all it was highly classified. So we worked in these trailers on the back of these huge trucks. So if we were ever overrun, the trucks could be leaving and we could be destroying everything inside. And anyway, so when it's my time to leave country, I'm down in Saigon again, waiting for my paperwork and I get a call. And the trailer I worked in took a direct hit. And three of my friends I worked side by side with were killed. So when Maggie told me to look up Migdalia, what she was telling the time I saw her, she was telling me. I was going to be okay in Vietnam, and I was. And uh, so, it's still, I don't know if you can do it's still emotional for me because uh, the fact that you know I lost my friends and 
but uh, so that's um, that's how you know your angels work. They they use earth angels too. So Magdalene was an earth angel. Mm-hmm. You now they'll take people. Uh, so more of the stories: be kind to people, be kind to strangers. You know, you don't know who they are. You know, yeah. they could be an earth angel. You know. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. kind of froze so, a bit yeah. when you looked up Magdalia the second time. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear what what you found the second time. Could you repeat that? Oh, yeah, Magdalia. It's a derivative. The first time it, it told me it meant flower. Right. The second uh, time I looked it up, it said it, it's a derivative of Magdalena. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So when you have a connection to Mary Magdalene or any kind of spiritual guide, ascended master, you'll just keep, it'll just keep coming. Those little synchronicities. Like um, when I first bought my first house in 2002, I stenciled the floor de lis around the master bedroom. Mm. And actually it was in red. Because we had yellow walls. So you're laughing now Uh because you know where I'm going with this. Later on, I realized that the fleur de lis was a symbol of Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. And I was drawn to it, obviously. I liked it for some reason, didn't know why, but I liked it enough to stencil it on in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. So you find out what you're drawn to. Later on, you find out the meaning of why you're drawn to it and it just keeps coming you just keep discovering you may not know why you're and that's why you should just trust your feeling on why you are drawn to things it Mm -hmm. does and it's never logical but your i say your soul is pulling you in that direction so just follow it and you may or may not find out why or what it means but it's going to be fulfilling for you yeah, and I think they build up, you know, your angels build these things up just so, like they have this reservoir of things to throw out when you start having <laughs> doubts and fears. Okay, remember this one? Remember that? Huh? Remember? You know, stop doubting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Joseph, I enjoyed so much listening about your stories and thank you for sharing your experience um, in Vietnam, especially because I know that's difficult to talk yeah. about. Um, but definitely check out his books. Um, his pop most popular book is loving yourself wealthy, the power of angels. I haven't read it yet, but I just downloaded it to my Kindle. Um, and three, volume three. three. Yeah. If you don't put volume three, three, hundreds of books will come up. So put the power of angels, volume three, and it will come right up. And if you have Kindle Unlimited, which is a membership, you can read it for free, which is what I have. Um, And um, definitely... Don't forget to write a review. (laughs) (laughs) I will share all his contact information in the notes. And thank you, Joseph, for coming on the show today. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Hi friends, thanks for listening. This is your host of the Weirdest Experience podcast, Tina Clark. I also wanted to share with you, I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings, and I also offer classes on Reiki, shamanism, and tarot and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218 or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www.tinakinneyclark.com. That's T-I-N-A-K-I-N-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E. Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, 
please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.